So there's a lot of overlap between chapter 11 and chapter 12. A lot of the concepts are repeated. And so, uh, so the early church and poverty. I want to look at the, just take you through the origin of poverty. And it starts in Genesis. Y'all remember when they sinned in the garden, right? When they sinned in the garden... God said, something's going to happen to you, Satan, right? And then he said, this is going to happen to the woman, and this is going to happen to the man, speaking about the curse and how it's affecting humanity. And this is what he said to man, to Adam. And to Adam, he said, because you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground. Say ground. Look at the word ground. The Hebrew word for ground is adama. Adam. Adam was made from what? The ground. So cursed is the ground. You know, that's, I don't want to go into this, but that's part of the origin of sickness, right? That cursed became the human because he was made from the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles. Say thorns and thistles. A tongue twister. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face, a sweat of your face, or the sweat of your brow in some translations, you shall eat bread. So I want to point out to you that God said that cursed is the ground. What was Adam's business? To till the garden. He was a, a farmer, per se, or he tilled the garden. And so his place of business, his marketplace, was the garden. And the garden was what? Cursed. That instead of just crops and, and it being easy for things to come up, what would come up would be the crops and also the what? Thorns and thistles. Have you ever did uh, gardening and you had thorns and thistles in your garden? Or cut a, cut a yard and it had thorns and thistles in the yard. It's not fun. It's very disruptive. And so what God was saying is that perhaps it's double trouble now. The work that you do, now you need to do double to get the equal result. Maybe triple, I don't know. But there's this curse that's coming up from the ground in the marketplace. And it's the, the intangible is what? is the sin, but the manifestation of the sin is what? Thorns and thistles. The intangible is sin, but the, but the, intangible, but the tangible is that you're going to have to, the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to work really hard, right, in order to get the same product that you were planning to do. Now, when you translate that into the marketplace, depending on what job it is, it may not look like tilling crops, but it could like, look like getting new clients. It could be the flow of, of vendors, sales, the disruption in that natural process. But this is for Adam. So you see the thorns and thistles, they're no fun, right? The intangible result of sin was sin in the garden, and the tangible result was thorns and thistles and the sweat of the brow. Now, when Jesus came, his first sermon ever, when he got up, how many of y'all know that your 
your uh, first primary sermon or teaching is very important, right? That's, he's been meditating on this for 30 years. And he's finally called up by God to speak his first sermon that's been germinating in him for 30 years. And he gets up in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And look what he says, the first thing that he's gone after. The very first thing. To proclaim the good news to the poor. Look. I'm going, if I was Jesus, I'm going after all kinds of things, but the primary thing that I am announcing to you first is that I'm going after the poverty issue that was caused by the curse, by the thorns and the thistles and the sweat of the brow. And then he went on to say, to set, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of Lord's favor. So I want you to see that proclaiming good news to the poor, it wasn't preaching a message of hope that the day after you die, you get to go to heaven and have all your needs taken care of. That wasn't the message. Because that's not good news to the poor. That would be bad news to the poor. You have to endure what you have the rest of your life. And if you live to 80 years old and you're 20 years old, you get 60 more years of the same. Is that good news? No. It's bad news. But what he was saying is that the spirit of the Lord that's upon me, that I'm releasing upon you, is going to give you the capability of coming out of the poverty situation into a place of provision. And that's why it's good news. That's why it's good news. Yeah? So Jesus attacked this very issue of poverty. It's not um, a peripheral issue. It's the very heart of the gospel. We tend to spiritualize the gospel so much that we, we eliminate this area. But yet he goes after it. Now, y'all ready? And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of what? What was the curse? Thorns and thistles. Where was the thorns and thistles placed? On his brow. You feel that? When he came to redeem, he said, I'm going after this poverty issue and I'm reversing the curse. And part of that is we know that the shed blood, what? Cleanses of what? Sin. And so when the thorns hit the brow and the blood went on to the thorns and to the brow, at that moment, Poverty was redeemed. There was purpose 
to this whole thing of taking on the thorns into the sweat of his brow. And he said, this very issue, the first sermon that I did to say I'm proclaiming the good news to the poor, I'm actually redeeming it so that it can now be reclaimed. The marketplace can be reclaimed like we talked last week. And it could be sanctified, not to just build an empire of riches, but to be able to provide great provision for your family and fulfill the mission that God has on your life so that you can distribute and redistribute in a way that addresses the issue of poverty. Do you remember what the young rich ruler? He said to him, he said to him, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Most of the time we interpret that is and give it to the poor, right? All that you possessed, that you sold. But it didn't say that. He said, sell all that you have. Let's break the attachment to the wealth. Let's break it first. And also give to the poor. He doesn't say give it all to the poor. He just says develop a compassionate heart to give downward. Because when he walked away frustrated, Jesus said anyone who gives up father and mother and their possessions to follow me will receive a hundredfold in this life. So he was in a position, if he was a good businessman that understood the spiritual significance, he would have just had a hundredfold return on that which he would have sold. And so he says, let's break the connection to your possessions. Let's give you a compassionate heart of giving. And then I will entrust you with a hundredfold because I can trust you, and the hundredfold won't kill you. It'll make you a blessing. And then it'll be redistributed into the world. So Jesus took care of this issue with the crown of thorns. They put it on him in Mark 15. The curse on the marketplace has been redeemed, and now, uh, not typo, and now it has to be what? Reclaimed. Let's read that. Ready? Go. The curse on the marketplace has been redeemed, and now it has to be reclaimed. Yes. It has to be reclaimed. Oh, look at Rhonda up there. Yeah, she's loving on the homeless. In uh, Acts 4.34, Five, it says, there was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands and houses, sold them and bought the, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. 
that our job as believers is to meet the needs of those in our community. Like Sheldon said, it's not a me, it's a we. That we need to make the transition that, that when it happens to someone in a community, it happens to us. And that it's not them over there that need to get fixed, it's us that has a problem that we need to address. And so there was not a needy person among them. One of the insights that Ed shows in the book, I don't know if it's in this chapter or another, but that every time in the Acts of the Apostles, the needs of the community were met through radical giving and caring, that's when they had a tremendous increase in believers. When, there was, when the community could see the rich and the poor and the Jew and the Gentile and all coming together at one, at one table, they said, what is happening here? They're crossing all these lines and they're loving each other and they're teaching each other and they're growing and it's like, I want to be part of this. It was uh, a manifestation. That's when it says, uh, the social, there's, there's the vertical aspect of connection with God, but there's the horizontal, which is the social, right? And the elimination of systemic poverty for the early church was a social indicator that the kingdom of heaven came. What would it look like to say there was not one needy person in the region of New Orleans. Now we all have to do our part, right? Like Rhonda's obedient to doing her part. We all each have different missions and, and, and need to do our part. But that if, if the church, if we really understood that there's not to be one needy one among us, then we would be figuring out how to deal with all the fruits of systemic poverty that that Sheldon was talking about. How do we address this and this? And what would he call, like his wife is called to, to the, the women and the pregnancy of women and, 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 and being an advocate for that. But we all have our own calling to address the needs of our community. Now let's go over the four types of poverty again. It's worth hearing over and over again. One of the points that Ed makes in these chapters is that most often poverty is defined as not having material enough to take care of my basic needs. So it's often defined as material poverty. Everything that he read, all the research he did, only addressed poverty from that one point of view is that, that people under a certain income level in the United States would considered poverty which is not really a good judgment because even those people would qualify as being rich compared to a lot of third world countries. But at the same time, it's, it's materially not having enough to meet our own basic needs. 
But he says, no, there's four types of poverty that he sees that was revealed to him. And the revelation that he got was from the Lord's prayer that started with what? Our what? Our Father. And then our daily bread. And he says, from those lines, God revealed to him the four types of poverty. One is material. We all understand that. If you don't have the material to be able to meet your basic needs, we know that that's a form of poverty, right? But the second one that he talked about was motivational poverty. And motivational poverty is oftentimes caused by growing up in a systemic system that doesn't give you hope that you can advance to certain places. There's not hope that I can, I have it in me to develop to go into certain segments. Do you know, growing up, the issue wasn't whether I was going to college. It was which college I was going to go to. I didn't realize till later that that's not everybody's experience. And that, that there was just, that was just part of a priority for my parents is that, no, you're going to college. And I didn't even think twice about that, just trying to figure out which one I go to. But then as I've expanded my horizons, I realized there's so many people that some of them go to college and, and they're the first ones to ever go to college and the things that they say they had to break through in order to be able to achieve that is just extraordinary. Sometimes systems set up that, that keep an individual from having hope that I can get to certain levels and progress to certain levels. And so if I don't have that motivation to do that, that's a form of poverty, isn't it? It's called motivational poverty. The third type of poverty that Ed talks about is relational poverty. Instead of our daily bread, it's give us, give us, give me my daily bread. And as long as I got my daily bread, I'm good. And I don't care if you don't have your daily bread. It's not my issue. But when we're relation poverty, we don't have relationships or not the high, we're not rich in relationships. The popular word nowadays is narcissism, right? Narcissistic, it's just about me, it's just about what I need, it's what I want. Everything revolves around me. When that's the case, we are poor relationally and we suffer with a relational type poverty. And the fourth type of poverty is based on our father is to not know that God is my father is a form of poverty. To not have connection with God as a father makes this world a really scary place. I've been counseling for 25, 30 years. You know, I'm a firm believer that the root of all anxiety is that spiritual poverty 
of not knowing that God is with me, that he's for me, that he's a father, that he cares for me, and that even if everything disappears, he'll make a crow fly over my head and drop a bag of money on my head. He'll do something. Like if I don't have that knowledge, then it's going to create anxiety. There's other causes of anxiety, but that's one of them. And so spiritual poverty has to do with not knowing that I'm connected to the Father. Now, Ed talks about generally those who are materially poor oftentimes are more deficient in the material poverty and also the motivational poverty. Not believing I can go to certain places, that I can achieve certain things. And then he says, those, because, and, and generally the material poor literally have a lack of something, a lack of provision, a lack of motivation. Now, generally, the materially wealthy or struggle more with relational poverty and spiritual poverty. Oftentimes, if you're materially impoverished, oftentimes you know God is all I got. <laughs> and if it's all falling apart. I've learned that God's all I got, and it's real. I remember when I was uh, in, in um, early college, I was, used to work at a place called Hope House, and it was uh, Sister, Sister Prejean, Helen Prejean, who they did a movie over. She did a movie, um, Dead Man Walking, yeah. And it worked with her, and she worked in what was used to be the St. Thomas Project. And working with the poor in the project. And I remember, I remember uh, working and volunteering and doing certain things, and it was just, it was my only time. I mean, it was, I wasn't exposed to that world, but what I can remember so, what blew me away over and over was the faith, the faith of the people that I met that was just so much stronger than the faith that I had. And there was something I learned about the reality of the Father that I never learned in sort of a, Ed talks about having a professional relationship with the Father. And so, so oftentimes, generally, the material wealthy will struggle with the relational. He also says that oftentimes if we don't have means that we are part of our survival depends upon having relational connections. And that if, we're, if you're more wealthy, that there's not the need, so sometimes it's not as important. And we struggle. And yet the beautiful thing about looking at poverty in this way, well, before I get there, generally the materially wealthy may not be lacking something, but what drives them, if you don't have a relationship with the Father, you live from a place of fearing that you will lack something. And so I'm driven to have more and more, no matter how many zeros I have in my bank account, it's not enough because I'm afraid that the stock market's going to go south anyway, so I need more money and more of this and more of that. 
and it moves into a place of greed, which means it doesn't get given back to, which creates another level of poverty. So it's, it's the lack or the fear of lack, which is the other side of the corn, which perpetuates the issue of what? Poverty. Systemic poverty. The beautiful thing about this approach to poverty is that everybody has something to offer at the table. That there comes to a place where we realize, just like I did when I was working in the St. Thomas Project, I went there to help, but I was ministered to. And I received and I, and I admired and I was in awe of the tangible, real relationship that some of these individuals had with the Father. And that as I was trying to give to them, they were given to me and there was a mutual exchange. And it was just a deep honor and appreciation because we both had something to offer when we came to the table. And when we realize that, then we can approach all people with a sense of dignity that I'm here to give, but I'm here to receive. And I want to receive what you have. And I want to give you what I have. So in Acts chapter 2, it talks about the, the Christians, the believers, came together and they began sharing meals together. So those that were material and motivationally impoverished began to share meals with the relationally and spiritually impoverished and began to share with each other. And through the redemptive work of Christ, they began to move into a place of wealth on all areas or prosperity or however you want to call it. And that the material and the motivational and the relational and the spiritual all came to the table and they were able to share and give to each other. And in the process of that transformation, people saw it and the amount of believers increased daily. Does that make sense? Everyone has something to bring to the table. So this is part of our activation. What area are you deficient in in regarding the four types of poverty? I'm not saying that you're impoverished, but you're going to be stronger in some areas than others, right? So the question is, what areas are you deficient in? Is it spiritual, relational, material? Or motivational. The kingdom lifestyle is about going from a taker to a what? Giver. What area do you need to become a better giver? So what are your strong points? And what is it that you need to be giving at the table? So part of it is recognizing this is what I need to receive at the table and then also recognizing this is what I need to give at the table 
and that when we humbly accept our deficiencies and our strengths, then we come to the table with a certain level of humility and honor and that there's a divine exchange that occurs when we come to the table in that way. That make sense? Yes. So is it spiritual, relational, material, motivational? Paul said, it is better to what? Give than to receive. That's the, that's the mark of Christian maturity is that we go from receiving, 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 receiving. Of course, we always receive from the Lord, but I'm just talking about in terms of the social aspect of relational interaction, we move into what? Giving. Giving. Right, Jeremiah? Giving. Giving. Amen. Amen. All right.